I want to look at John chapter 3, story of Nicodemus. This has become one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and one of the things that over recent weeks, uh, as you know, I've been preparing with the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew 5 through 7, and Jesus makes a declaration, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet, those were the religious teachers and religious leaders of the day. And so it's an eye-opening statement. And in this particular passage, you have a Pharisee coming to visit Jesus. And he comes at night, so in some ways he's coming when he's not going to be seen by everyone. And Jesus doesn't insult him for such a thing, but they have quite a dialogue together, and that's what I want to go after and take a look at. Uh, Nicodemus makes this comment. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is seeing something that he doesn't have. And he's recognizing even though he's lived religiously and even though his outside life is in order, he's saying there's something that goes beyond what I have. And he's coming to check it out. There's a certain nobility in that to, to say, to not just look at it and say, well, I'm doing everything I can. But he's seeing the example of someone different and he's going, what is it? And so he is coming with a, a heart that's looking. Uh, if you were to read Matthew 23, there are seven woes described in that particular chapter. And Jesus takes on the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. And he makes this comment in part of it. He says, you, you have this beautiful outward appearance. Everything looks wonderful about you. But inside's full of greed and every kind of disorder and evil. And so what he's saying is, your outward life has all this good form and structure. It looks very impressive. But he's going, inside, you're messed up. And, and that's something that comes as a challenge to re religious people in particular. You know, where you're, you walk this and you begin to take on the codes of whatever group you're with. And you start to follow in this structure. And there's a dangerous point of letting the structure become your salvation, so to speak, or your your satisfaction that things are okay because I do this and I live this way rather than saying internally I've got to have something of the Spirit of God within me. Jesus says to him, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's the man coming with all the outward structure and Jesus says, you've got to be born again. In other words, your life isn't sufficient just with this structure. There's got to be something that transpires inside of you. Powerful, powerful thing. Who else could he have said that to that would have had the same impact? Who else would he have been able to look at and said, you really have a good outward structure and appearance of what you're doing? You know, the, it's like they knew the Old Testament. Many of them had memorized it completely. 
So you didn't get into that kind of leadership unless you actually had a firm understanding of what the Old Testament was about. And if you read through what the Pharisees done, many of them fasted two days a week. So again, this, this outward structure and the prayers that they followed through, you know, the, it was impressive. And what we have to, to step into is that our outward form and structure and behavior needs to come from inside out, not outside in. You will never fix the inside by straightening up the outside. You start with what's internal and allow it to go outward. Jesus makes this statement, you must be born again. And that, um, that's a term that through my lifetime has, has been a, a, a key phrase of Christianity, then an overused phrase, and then it's kind of lost and yet it's a beautiful idea. In 1976, Chuck Colson, a man who had worked for Richard Nixon, uh, special counsel to the president, went to jail for some of the shenanigans that they pulled, got, had a, a born-again experience in jail, wrote this book, Born Again, and in it he lays out the, the tenets for Christianity and belief system and proved to be one of the most influential Christian writers of his day. And so if you ever read his books, it was one of those things where you're going, this guy really has put things together. And he helped organize thought. But it started with this crash experience and realizing, I'm empty, and, and everything that I took and all that I chased in life has fallen apart for me, and he's at this empty place in jail, and he develops a thing called Prison Fellowship, then the radio show Breakpoint. If uh, you've ever followed Eric Metaxas, Eric Metaxas got his training from Chuck Colson, uh, you know, which, again, is one of the key writers of our day. But Colson and, and Billy Graham was using this phrase, you must be born again. They, these were key things. But then you have it kind of reaching that place in society where you have the rock stars like, yeah, I'm born again rock, you know, or whatever. And born again became this overused term, and suddenly it just doesn't mean anything to us. But if you come back to this point in Scripture, you're going, well, it's very descriptive what Christ is calling us to, or something, a, a birth of the Spirit, so to speak an awakening from inside, a, a, a truly a, a new birth experience. You know, Nicodemus declares the obvious, and he says, what are you talking about? You, you can't be born twice. You know, so what's your point? And uh, Jesus comes back and says, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You know, there's some question, what's born of the water, you know? Well, he, Jesus comes back and defines it. He says, your flesh is one thing. You know, your physical body, to be born that way is, is one thing. But he says, there's got to be something born in the depths of you as well. You know, your soul needs to come alive. 
Your spirit needs to be awakened in God. And so he's making this declaration, spirit gives birth to spirit. Do not marvel. And I said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. In both Greek and Hebrew, spirit and wind use the same word. And so when we get into a verse like this, it's kind of like, oh, was he talking wind or is he talking spirit? I, you know, and you're going, kind of I'm not sure. What comes across, though, is that just like the wind has great impact and power, you don't see it, you see the effects of it. And so he's making this same declaration in regard to the spirit. You don't necessarily see it, but the effect of it and the, the impact of it is powerful. And so when we look at it and we say, the unseen world has great power in our seen world. The unseen has great impact that we need to embrace and acknowledge for what it is. The unseen has a way to, to transform our lives even into the physical in a way that we wouldn't dream except that we know that there's a power just like the wind that transforms us. There are many times and you can go, this, there's something happening here beyond music in my heart in this moment. There's something going on deeper than just the music. You know, our goal when we sing is not just to have good music. We all desire that. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I grew up singing music that I hated in church, that I, I never tied into, but I still will admit that there were things transpiring even in that music that I didn't like. Some of you may be going, I'm not all that sold on what we do now, but beyond that, there are times when it, it just awakens something. And we would have to say, this is more than an emotional experience. This is something of the power of God that I, I don't understand, but I, I'm grateful for. For me, at times, there's like a peace that settles on me that allows me to let go of everything that's been going on through the week or everything that I'm looking at at the week ahead or all this anxiety kind of builds, and yet I'm, I'm declaring these words and affirming what I haven't got, and suddenly something takes over that I don't understand. And there's this awareness, something is transpiring in this moment, and it's precious. There are times when you're, you're gathered together in these small groups for prayer, and some weeks you're going, well, you know, that... Nice to talk to you again today. Or, but there are times when somebody starts praying and you're going, they're praying into my life. Now, I didn't describe this moment or what's going on, but something powerful is taking place right now that I don't understand. And I know that it's real, and I know that it's true, but I, I and you begin to say, Maybe God really does care about me and is declaring some things about my life that I, I didn't dream. You know, I mentioned this whole thing of, of speaking to leaders. 
a few years ago, I, I came to this understanding. I've been in ministry a long time. These dreams that I had haven't happened. And I'm quickly approaching that three-quarter point in my life. You know, that's a little sobering, right? We want to declare middle age, but I'm already three-quarters done. You know, <laughs> you're going, this thing is shrinking quickly, you know? And, uh, you know, and, it, and you, you begin in the natural to say, you know, better to, to reassess and just plow on. And then there's that moment where you're saying, did God tell me to let go of this, or am I just reasoning this through? You say, well, I don't have a clear word from God to let this go, but I don't see how it can work out in the natural. And I guess that maybe that's just right where he wanted me. But, you know, to, to have these things where you're going, there's something beyond my reasoning, there's something beyond my physical life. There's something beyond what I can put together. And even though I don't understand it, it's very precious and wondrous in this moment. And it has more power over my life than even anything that I can do in the physical or any reasoning that I can come to. It's a wonderful awareness, so to speak, to step into and to begin growing in and to say, I may not understand all this, but I still know that it's there. And so it's up to me to begin to continue investing so that I can grow and learn more and more how this thing works. Nicodemus goes, okay, <laughs> how can this be? And Jesus kind of throws it back at him and says, well, you're the teacher. <laughs> Which Nicodemus has to go, you're right, but I don't get it yet. Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if you hear heavenly things? And then Jesus makes this point, no one's been to heaven, but the one who comes down from heaven is the one who can bring you light. And when we see that term, son of man, we tend to say, well, obviously he was born of Mary. No, it's referring back to Daniel's prophecy, and there's an awareness that this is a supernatural moment. And so son of man is a term that has significance in the prophetic from the Old Testament times. And it talks of a ruler coming that will have power over all the earth. And so that recognition in Jesus is that one day he will rule in a way that goes beyond anything that we know. Then he makes this statement. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You remember the story, they had been wandering through the wilderness, and they got to a place where they began to complain and gripe and just say, you know, this isn't going anywhere. And God sent a judgment upon them where serpents came in and started biting them and people were dying. And they cry out and say, help us, help us. What, you know, how are we going to get past this? And, and God tells Moses, fashion a serpent out of bronze, lift it up, let people look at it, and they'll be healed. In the natural, that doesn't work. We know that, right? But it did. 
And they had, what's in some ways beautiful about this passage is that they had the Old Testament law. This goes beyond law. This goes into the supernatural in a way that even though they had rules for living, for their salvation and their hope, they have to do something that goes even beyond that. And so there's a supernatural taking place in that moment. And so it was a powerful time in their memory, so to speak, where God intervened on their behalf in a way that went beyond all their rules and all their outward structure and order. So God's bringing this to Nicodemus and saying, you have the law, you have, but here's a beyond-the-law experience for you. Here's a beyond-the-law activity for you to know the salvation of God. And then he goes into the verses that, first verses we learn. It says, God loved the world, gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, they had to look at that serpent lifted up, and even in the belief that there was salvation, they, they received something that wasn't natural. And, and so now Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up, but if you will look to me and believe in me as your source of salvation, even though you've been living by all these codes, he says, this is going to take you into that next step, so to speak. This is going to give you that new life that's been declared. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he makes this declaration. God didn't send Jesus because he was mad. He didn't send him because he wanted to just make one more statement of our guilt. He didn't send him so that it would be this final nail in the coffin of showing us why you're being condemned. Rather, it was opening the door that you might receive a forgiveness for your sins, that you might receive salvation through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So he says, there was, your life was condemned already, already. What you needed was to be brought to life. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He just says, you know, there's a, the tendency of our lives is to want to continue to function in darkness because that's what our bent is. But he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light. So they may be seen clearly that his works have been carried out by God. So when you and I catch a hint of what this is about, and we step into this, and we allow God's spirit life in our hearts, he says we continue to walk into that light, and we allow him to transform us from the inside out. We allow our deeds to become deeds of light, so to speak. They, they reflect what's going on inside. So our lifestyle is affected, not by an outward law, but by an inward law that says, this is the way, walk in it. And we begin to appreciate that light, and we grow in it, and we allow it to flood every region of our life and speak life to us. That's why even though I've been in this thing most of my life, 
there is still every week when I, when I catch insights and glimpses of transformation that is possible if I will respond to him. And regularly there's this thought of, I don't necessarily want to change. You know? Or I'm very comfortable with the way things have been. Or I think I'll be lonely if I give this up. I think there will be a boredom if I let go of this. And yet there's this opportunity by faith to say, what he's done is good so far. Am I willing to trust him that stepping into this, and even though it appears that I may be lonely or bored or you know, it may not work the way that it, it has, will I trust him enough to say that the end result is going to be better than what I have now? I'm stepping into light, and I'm embracing that what he has and what he's brought in that hint of the moment that says, you can do this differently. You can bring light into this in the way that you're acting. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a framework to see how this is going to work. I don't have a, 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 a set idea of how this is going to transform, but I'll trust you. Shar and I have been trying to work on, on our teasing of each other some. Trying to reduce it. <laughs> Excuse me. Make that clear. One morning we're lying in bed and we're going, you know, if if we quit teasing each other, I'm not even sure how we're going to talk. Because <laughs> it's been a major part of our lives. Sign of affection, right? But also an awareness that at times there's a dig, and it's, it's not the highest good that God would have for us. Yet it's kind of a, it's an uncomfortable area to leave because it's been a part of life all through. It's about a part of communication. And to step away from that, it's almost like, how do you do this? How do you talk to each other without these little shots, so to speak? Humor. <laughs> well, he's teaching us. We're not there yet. Um, but it's, it's that kind of thing that he... For you, it may be something completely different. But you have that moment of fear of, how am I going to live without this? How am I going to interact with people without talking this way? How do I, how do I, how do I not just let people run over me? Or how do I just not get abused without Punching back, so to speak. And, and it comes down to a trust in us and a willingness to say, you do all things well, and if you're challenging me in this, then I've, I've got to make a step forward. With the trust that when he's done that before, it's worked out well, not necessarily in the moment, not, not, you know, not with the foresight that says, oh, I can see where this is going. But the trust that says it's worth it because he is faithful in all things. And he really wants to incorporate good into my life. He wants light. You know, 
With light, we see color. With light, we see definition. With light, we see beauty. And that's what we want to step into. Eyes that see true beauty, eternal beauty, so to speak. Now, um, the rest of the story, so to speak, goes this way. Nicodemus responded. In, in John chapter 7, the Pharisees are uptight because Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you rivers of living water. And uh, they're bent out of shape over that declaration. And Nicodemus says, well, shouldn't we at least evaluate what the guy has to say? Shouldn't, uh, doesn't everybody deserve a hearing? Just like Nicodemus went and listened. And uh, they're going, what? Nothing good comes from Galilee. Are you from Galilee too? You know, it, it's a, they put them down, and that's all that, that we catch out of that dialogue. But at least he's standing up and, and declaring himself. And then at, at, in Jesus' burial, Nicodemus is one of the ones who brings the ointment and, and they embalm him or, or, you know, do the process of whatever they did in that day. 75 pounds worth of ointment on him and then wrapping him. But Nicodemus, you know, doesn't just flee in that moment or even say, well, he's dead. I, you know, seemed like a sharp guy. Seemed like he had something extra, but he's still committed to that cause, so to speak, and said, this was, a, this was an unusual being, and I would invest even in his death. Now, thankfully, the resurrection is, is after that, but I mean, the fact that he's continuing to invest is powerful to me. It says this man who had been brought up in a system, a, a very structured and, and precise system, very religious, sees something more and says, I need that for my life as well. And then from the effects of, of his testimony, so to speak, you say he responded to what he heard. Help us to do the same, Lord. Help us to do the same. I want to go back and visit uh, an illustration with Chuck Colson, a brilliant man brilliant enough to get tapped for presidential aid um, and then has his life crash, becomes the greatest apologist of his generation, um, transformed by the power of God. Never went back, didn't bemoan how things went, but picked up the pieces and, and really had a transformed life. And I guess for each of us, you know, if you're at that stage of just saying, I need new birth in me, then let's call out to the Lord and ask and believe that he's going to do that. If you're at this stage of just saying, I need to know that next step in the Lord, or why you're describing things, I know what God wants me to do, I'm just not sure how to get there or that I even want to go there. Let's pray that God would give us the confidence to walk in, in that path, that our lives would be fully transformed in Him. Then I'm going to pray for God's blessing upon you and remind you there's a meal downstairs. It's open-ended worship from here on out. Stay as long as you would. If 
you need prayer, find someone that you trust or just come see one of us and we definitely would love to pray with you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the transforming power of your spirit that can't be seen but truly changes life. May they discover what it is to be born again and to live new life in you. I pray as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I would ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.